Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. Last night, I dreamt I went to Manderley again. This is the famous opening line from Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, and it's all it takes to transport me to Cornwall and the Gothic setting for this story about wealthy widower Maxim de Winter, his first wife, Rebecca, the second Mrs de Winter, and the housekeeper at Manderley, Mrs Danvers. I was first introduced to Daphne du Maurier's work at school when Jamaica Inn was one of our set texts. I wasn't quite so keen on that story, but still wanted to discover more of her books. Rebecca was the next one that I read, and it remains an all-time favourite. Daphne du Maurier created psychological thrillers long before they became a thing. Rebecca was actually first published in 1938, and it has never been out of print. Like so many other classic tales, it continues to be read and enjoyed time and again. It's a book that I have reread several times. The last time was in 2012, when I was giving out copies of this book as part of World Book Night that year. It's well overdue for another read. I find it interesting in the story that we are never actually told the first name of the second Mrs de Winter. It's an intriguing way of ensuring that Rebecca's power over the Manderley household is shown to be all-encompassing. There've been a few adaptations of Rebecca for large and small screen. There's the classic Hitchcock adaptation starring Laurence Olivier as Maxim and Joan Fontaine as the second Mrs de Winter. The ending was changed to make Rebecca's death appear accidental. More recently, a Netflix adaptation was released starring Army Hammer as Maxim, Lily James as the second Mrs de Winter and Kristin Scott Thomas as Mrs Danvers. It's well worth a watch, even though in this adaptation too, the ending was changed. And by the way, Kristin Scott Thomas is absolutely brilliant as Mrs Danvers in that adaptation. Anyway, if you want to know what really happens at the end of Rebecca, well, you'll just have to read it yourself, won't you? <laughs> we will indeed. We will indeed. Uh, you've built up the tension very well there, Catherine. Thank you so much. Um, now, I can't wait to talk about that a little bit more and also to uh, introduce our listeners to you and find out more about you. But before we do, we'll have a quick introduction to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. You're listening to Storytelling with Puck, the podcast designed to show the power of stories in life and in business. Stories connect us on a deeper level, which is why we'll be sharing, chatting about and feeling the impact they have on every one of us. Your host, Stefano, is the founder of Puck Creations and we work with your business to define a clear, consistent, relevant brand which stands out from the crowd. We use that brand to create content that makes your audience think, feel and take action. Visit PuckCreations.com to find out more. And before you visit Puck Creations, well, are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin with an introduction to the magnificent Catherine Williams. Catherine, let's open chapter one. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast, Stefano. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, 
uh, yeah, my, my strap line is making books beautifully easy to read. Um, and I work with book coaches and independent authors to help them get their books ready for publication. Um, so, so books have, have always been a big part of my life. And um, I didn't actually start out my career in the publishing world. I started out in the, in the voluntary sector. Um, but once I'd got my foot in the door of a, of a small publishing company, I, I knew I'd found my happy place and, for work. And um, yeah, 25 years later, I'm still working on books. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you are, I think, the perfect guest in that case for a, for a storytelling uh, podcast. Um, that's maybe a good place to start. You said that, you know, books and reading have been a huge part of your life. Do you remember the first book you ever read or that was read to you? Um, can't say that I do. No. <laughs> um, I can remember reading... Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, oh. um, and you know that is totally my all-time favourite children's book. Um, although you know you can read it as an adult as well, and it's uh, um, just as good mm-hmm. um, in the in the original. Um, you know, I used to imagine that I was Lucy going through the back of the wardrobe into Narnia and and <laughs> uh, having all those adventures. So yeah, brilliant book. Um, it's funny, you know, because when I was a child, I, I never realized that it was a christian allegory um at all um uh, but you know i don't think you need to read it in that way at all um it's no i agree with that i think you can take it as you can take it as it is on face value exactly. or you yeah. can um or, or, or you can take it as a christian allegory uh, but i don't I don't think it matters. I think that it's actually the feelings that it gives you, that excitement, the imagination it sparked, the idea that every time we open a wardrobe, I feel like so many children, um, I I think through all generations, actually, I think children are still reading it to this day. I have exactly that same feeling, though. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. You know, you you certainly um, identify with one or other of the the characters. Um, You know, you, you could be... The, the naughty one, Edmund, um, who got involved with the White Witch and couldn't resist the temptation of the Turkish delight. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so that was that. That was something that always comes to mind as as reading as a kid. You don't remember the first book, but you remember that as kind of one of the most powerful books in your favourite children's book. And then, yeah, yeah. As you got older, were you the kind of child who was just? reading at every single gap between the things that you kind of had to do in life or how how did you how did you navigate that world <laughs> pretty pretty much um i can remember as a younger child you know one of my favorite things to do um was to go our weekly visit to the library uh, my mum was an avid reader so we'd go to the library every single week and she'd get like six books out and read them all within the week um you know but it was the, the chance to choose new books um and you know that, uh, I was never a famous five reader. It's weird. Um, I was a secret seven reader. <laughs> <laughs> You'd already um, started the, the divide. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, all those adventures. And I can't honestly remember what what they were about now or, or the names of the characters. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny. But yeah, you know, I, I, I was always, you know, the proverbial always have my nose in a book. <laughs> I, I know that feeling well. I um, 
I remember as a kid, similar to you, similarly to you, going to the library and um, there were restrictions on the number of books you were allowed to take out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, it used to really, it used to really upset me because I knew that I could read way more books than they would allow me to take out from the library in the space of time. <laughs> and I was encouraged to as well. And luckily I had a family who really encouraged me to, to keep on reading. And um, I remember, I, I, I think my mum maybe got to know um, one of the, um, one of the workers at the library, one of the librarians. And eventually, because I always brought the books out, brought them back in time, could tell a story about the books because I'd read them. They allowed they allowed me to take out a few more books. They broke a few rules, which I'm not sure is a very typical typically librarian thing to do. But <laughs> uh, probably not. No, no. <laughs> probably not. But I must have been a cheeky as cheeky of a child as I am as an adult. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's funny because one one of my first ambitions was was to be a librarian. I thought it would be an absolutely wonderful job to be surrounded by books all day, and you know all you had to do was put the books back on the shelf and stamp stamp the new ones out and um, all the rest of the time you, you could um, you know just sit and read <laughs> yeah yeah I'll be honest I still like that idea quite a lot <laughs> just, it would be it would be pretty pretty wonderful unfortunately uh as we know, lots of libraries are closing down or have closed down already. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's very sad, really. It is. It is. Um, so, still, there's lots of reading material around, and there's still lots of um, vigor for books. And there's a lot of. Uh, we'll, we'll come. We'll come to um, to what you're doing now um, in 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 a short while, um, because there's a lot of uh, further for. Um, business type books and for non-fiction books uh, at the moment but you're I guess how you got to where you are you you said at the beginning that you you didn't go straight into the publishing industry but you started in the voluntary sector what were you doing in the voluntary sector? Uh, my first job was actually as a, a, a PA to um, her, her job title was policy development officer at the mental health foundation in, okay. in London and yes. um, um, so my role was obviously to support her um, and it was uh, you know typing up her letters that she dictated um, you know we didn't have computers then <laughs> it was a, on a um, electric it wasn't actually an electric typewriter thankfully rather okay. than a manual one which is what I learned to type on. Um, Are you a fast typer? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, fairly. Yeah, <laughs> experience yeah. pro. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. No, no, no. Um, so her job was um, essentially putting on conferences about mental health issues um, okay. for professionals in the field, um, and we ended up also setting up um, a grant giving committee um, around um, substance abuse, so that other charities working in that particular field could apply for grants to the Mental Health Foundation and, and Amazing. get funding towards work to help people who, um, you know, unfortunately have fallen prey to uh, drugs or alcohol or um, solvents or any other substance that one might abuse. Yes, yeah, yeah, that uh, addiction is, it's such a challenge and, I mean, that's the understatement of the year. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, it's, so it's an amazing thing that you were doing. What, what, what got you to go down that path in the first place? What, what, what made you decide to get into that work? Um, 
it's a combination of things. Um, my dad was an accountant um, and I actually did my degree in accountancy, which surprises quite a lot of people because um, it's something that I never pursued. It just <laughs> seemed one of those things that seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, but in my final year, um, we did a marketing option um, mm -hmm. and I then did my thesis on marketing charities. And that was because my mum had worked in the voluntary sector for most of her working life. Um, oh, wow. She was the director of a couple of different charities. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where it came from. So I did this thing about marketing charities, um, which led me to look for my first jobs in the voluntary sector. Um, and I then, after the Mental Health Foundation, I went to the Royal National Institute for the Deaf um, okay. as PA to the director of fundraising. Um, so so the marketing stuff came in quite useful there yeah I can imagine it did and and tell tell me more about that actually because I find um charitable marketing or marketing for charities to 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 be some of the most powerful that there is I think that businesses can actually learn a lot from it absolutely yeah, yeah some, something I, I I see within the sector actually um is probably more stories than in any other business sector to market um, uh, to market charities. What, what did you learn, firstly, going into that world and, and doing the course, and then when you were actually working there as well? What did you learn about that, and how is it helping you now? Gosh, um, I think it's, it's essentially um, that it, it doesn't matter what, sector you're in you need to understand marketing if you're self-employed um, and you, you can't be afraid to you know put yourself out there um, but yeah you, you're so right about the stories because especially with charities I think where they've they've helped individuals or groups of people with a particular disability or a you know a particular problem in life and how they've actually helped to you know they can't necessarily solve that problem but they can help to make life easier um, and you certainly see that in the you know the BBC children in need and, and comic relief things and you, you actually get to see the difference that the money has made um, to, to those people who've been affected. Yeah I agree with that completely and it makes a lot of sense and it, it, was there ever a, I imagine there had to have been, um, a, a challenge with ethics when it came to sharing some of those stories and which stories you could share and, and, and you know, sometimes I guess it's making sure that the emotional welfare of, welfare of the people, stories that you're sharing um, is looked after as well. Was that kind of always a, a, dile a dilemma, I guess, on, on, on how much you could and couldn't share and... Yeah, it was always, you know, you, you had to get permission from the people involved um, to share their particular story, um, either through getting them involved with it um, or uh, using pseudonyms or, you know, it's it's the story rather than necessarily the, the individual, individual that it affected um, yeah, that, that was really important. That makes sense. And I, again, I think that, that then... Uh, does show you some parallels to, to how we can use storytelling 
in marketing businesses too um sometimes it's not necessarily as you say the individual company that you helped but it's the way that you helped them it's what the results were of what you did and especially you know when we're talking about um case case studies or i prefer to the term client stories (laughs) um when we're when we're uh, explaining um you know, there's, there's the simple formulas for stories about the problem, um, for case, case studies and client stories about the problem, um, or the solution and then kind of the end result where they are now off the back of it. But I, I often find that something that's really missing, um, with case studies is the emotional factor and that's what turns a case study into a client story in my opinion it's uh, how does this all connect with the audience and the person who's reading it and that's where I actually think having a background of reading so much fiction and enjoying so much fiction can really help do you would you would you agree with that kind of hypothesis at all or yeah I think I would actually yeah yeah definitely um you know some some books that you read you, you literally get so engrossed in them that you know uh, you know a few hours passes by and you think oh okay <laughs> uh, where did that time yeah. go um but you've, you've read half the book already and um because the the author has you know used their skill to really pull you into that story and and, and grab you and and just make you want to read on and you know that's always a sign of a good book in my opinion me too me too and uh, and that's that's actually something that you know, I really, really try and persuade um, my customers and Puck Creations customers to do is we try and persuade them to, you know, use their personality, use their slightly different style to kind of grab people and bring them in. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be sell, 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 sell. It doesn't need to be look how amazing we are. It just needs to be something that builds a relationship with them and gets them on board. I think, um, not not all of our listeners will know you, but people who do know you would say that you, I think you actually do that exceptionally well with the way that you promote your um, different businesses and um, they're both linked in terms of the subject matter. But yeah, you draw people in really well with what you do. And I, 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 I often wonder, because um, we know each other to an extent, but um, we don't speak that often. So I haven't asked you about this, but I often wonder how much your background helps you with all of this side of things. And it, it seems like it might be. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely helps. Um, you know, I've been running chapter one book production just over four years now. Um, certainly at the beginning, um, I had some assumptions about where my work was going to come from, right. um, which didn't pan out at all. Um, I assumed <laughs> it was going to be from, you know, more from traditional publishers, um, but that hasn't turned out that way at all. Um, it, I, I'm definitely in the realm of helping people to self-publish. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, sorry. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to control myself. I was going to ask you questions about that, but I'm gonna I I, I I'm quite liking this uh, this this build up to where you are now. So so let's 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 go back for a second to you you were working still working uh, in the charity sector, um, and was that your last job in the charity sector working um, as, as the Royal National Institute for the Deaf? Yes, it was. Um, okay, um, but the. The, the weird thing about that was um, I started using a program called PageMaker, which was the predecessor to um, InDesign, which is like the industry standard now, um, because I was creating um, promotional materials for regional fundraisers. You know, they were putting on events and other things. So we needed tickets and posters and all that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I really loved that part of the job. Um, it was brilliant. Um, 
but then I uh, had a, a career break for having my children, okay. who are now 30 and 29, which <laughs> um, astounds me no end. Um, but once uh, my younger child uh, had started at preschool, I knew I had to find something else to do because um, I was be you know just bored at home <laughs> yeah. uh, in between the school runs um and and it was just the the biggest stroke of luck ever um we had a, a this tiny little company literally five minutes walk from where i live called able publishing um and i noticed when i was walking past it one day that there was a sign in the door that said um assistant required I thought, oh, okay I'll, I'll, I'll pop in and see what that's about um, and as it turned out, they they needed somebody who knew how to use PageMaker. <laughs> so um, so that was it. I was in, um, and I ended up staying there for eleven years. Um, wow. Yeah, we were um, helping authors to to self publish their books in much the same way that I'm doing now. But this was you know twenty five years ago. When yeah, I imagine that self publishing wasn't so popular uh, twenty five years ago. It definitely wasn't, and it was very much denigrated as vanity publishing, and um, you know, it it wasn't proper publishing, and um, it, there, there was a, a lot of negativity around it. Um, but we actually provided a real service to people. Um, quite often, it was local histories, um, biographies, memoirs, family histories. And, and a lot of them, they literally wanted 100 copies of their book that they could give away to their family and friends. And um, so that was the service we provided. And uh, yeah. So it was it was self-publishing, but not for the idea, or most of the time, not for the idea of making lots of money out of the book. It was no, much absolutely. more of a, a personal... Yeah, very uh, much so. It's interesting because you mentioned the word ego there earlier, and, and and I can see how sometimes it might have been genuinely might have been egotistical. Um, I, I want to have, uh, you know, I want to have my words on paper. It doesn't matter if they're any good. I just want to show off the, the world that I've got. <laughs> but, um, but but I also imagine that for lots of people, when they're doing something like that, which is kind of you know a biography that they want their family to see, it's not about necessarily how good the writing is, how well formed it is, etc. It's more about, I want you to see the story of your family and to see my story and to be able to pass that through the generations. Is, is, did you, yeah. Did, were, yeah. were there a lot absolutely. of people like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you, you did mention a stigma there and it's definitely something that I've heard too when it comes to self-publishing. And as you say, especially when you first started in that industry, um, would you say that there's still a stigma around self-publishing? Uh, to some extent, probably, yes. Um, there are some who would say, oh, you know, it, it's still, it's not properly published unless it's been, you've got a, you know, a, a contract with a traditional publisher. Um, but I think it's that, you know, the digital age has made it a hell of a lot easier to self-publish. Yeah. Um, when I first started out, we were literally... Um, you know, if pictures were going to be included, we were literally leaving a space on the page. They would get printed out, and then the photos that had been supplied by the author were physically stuck in place. <laughs> um, and then the printer would be having to, it was called camera ready artwork because the printer would have to photograph each page and then assemble them in the right order to, to print them. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, it was quite a convoluted purpose. Uh, uh, that's the wrong word. Process. Pro yeah. Process. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
before you know the, the digital age came along and, and made everything a lot easier. It's it's amazing when you think about things like that, and, and you think yeah. about um, how much of an impact the digital world has on so many different industries now. But that's got to be one of the biggest changes. Oh, publishing, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, ebooks are a, a relatively new thing. Um, yeah. It's actually something I resisted for quite a long time. I didn't get a Kindle for ages and ages and ages. Um, but um, yeah, I, I did get one eventually and, and I wouldn't be without it now because it makes it a lot easier when you're going on holiday rather than having half a suitcase full of books. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I'm, like, I'm like you. I, for, for, for a while when I was thinking, but but there's the smell yeah, of the it, books. Yeah. There's the weight <laughs> of the books. You know, there's, there's the turning of the page, which sounds exactly. amazing. All of it. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But 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 I I, I caught up. Uh, I stopped becoming a love after a while, like you, like you said you did as well. And decided uh, decided actually for for things like holidays, it is perfect because it's just light. <laughs> just slot it into okay. one one tiny part of the bag. Um, so you started you started working in that company, working um, uh, with the the, the self publishing and. As you say, that was a much, much harder task for 11 years, working in that role then. Where did you go next? Was it still in the self-publishing realm or did you...? Um, no, actually, I, I went to a, a, a small independent publisher in, in London called Robert Hale. Um, okay. And I was the design and production manager there. Um, so they had um, what you might call an eclectic list. Um, <laughs> They had very specialist books about um, clocks and watches and jewellery and um, things like that. And they had um, an equestrian um, list as well under another imprint. Um, and they did fiction and, and non-fiction in any subject you could care to mention. Um, but the one that really astounded me was they did these uh, Western stories um, under a Black Horse Western imprint. Um, so, you know, literally stories about cowboys and Indians um, wow. and the American West. And um, they only printed 300 copies of each book. We, we did oh, wow. you know, like six different stories every single month, but it was uh, the print run was only 300 for each one. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Why so few copies? Just because they weren't that, likely that was, to sell? That was the market. Or? Um, that was the market you know there was it, it was a very niche market obviously um yeah but it was one that um, robert hale catered to um in fact weirdly 100 copies out of those 300 were shipped out to australia <laughs> so, uh, obviously there was enough of a demand for western stories down under for um <laughs> for them to do that yeah well, i imagine so and so i'm guessing there must have been enough profit in those 300 prints to make it worthwhile just about i think yeah just about, <laughs> just about. was it more of a labor of love probably yeah I, I don't think the author's got an awful lot out of it so. so you were working for robert hale um were you working doing a similar kind of uh kind of role or were you doing something slightly different uh, slightly different um in terms of, i was commissioning artwork for covers um i was managing um outside freelancers who were doing the typesetting work um yeah just basically managing the whole process from when i got the edited script in mm -hmm. to signing off the printer's proofs um once it got to that stage um so it's managing the whole production part of the publishing process wow. um and then um 
gradually over the years, the, the number of books being published slightly dwindled and they had to make some cost savings. So I started doing more of the typesetting in-house. Okay. Um, and, and I still, you know, absolutely love doing that. Um, fiction, re- relatively straightforward. So I generally preferred the, the non-fiction titles, you know, having to... Uh, could be a bit more creative with those that sounds amazing so for people who don't understand typesetting what what is it what does it mean what are you what are you doing when you say you're typesetting um essentially you're taking a word or other text file and putting it into um software like indesign so that it doing the page layout if you like um so that it so that it looks like it the pages of a book rather than a than a word file <laughs> right yeah um, and so uh, and so what's important when you're doing something like that what are you looking for i, I won't ask any more on that unless i'll let you answer it because, uh, <laughs> your knowledge is uh, far superior to mine so oh gosh um there's a lot to it more than most people think um you've got to look at the hierarchy of headings um you know especially in non-fiction where you might have you know, four or even five different levels of headings through the book to denote different sections. Um, if there's any images to be included, what sort of images are they? Where do they need to be placed? Um, what typeface is suitable for this book? Um, the vast majority of books that I set are they use a, a, a serif font for the main text, um, and, and serifs are the, the little curly bits yes. that on, on the letters. Um, and some serifs that don't have those um, for, for headings. Um, and it, it's about making the reader's journey as easy as possible through the book so that the author's words are easily understood. Um, and if the author is taking them on a journey, then you know they can follow it through follow because the, the, the structure has been done in that way. It's incredible. I, I really I, I, I admire what you do so much because... For me, the best books are the ones where you don't notice the typesetting. Absolutely. Absolutely right. If you notice the typesetting, it's because something's not quite right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Uh, so uh, so it, 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 it's sad in a way because it means that people don't necessarily realise the importance of what you do. But at the same time, that's what makes it such an enjoyable read because I have read books which haven't been typeset very well. And to be honest, even if the book's great, I almost give up sometimes because there's a confusion. I don't know where a a sentence ends and another sentence finishes properly. Even, of course, if you're reading it very closely, you can see a full stop, etc. But it's it's not about that. It's about usually, I personally anyway, am reading fairly quickly. And so it needs to almost just align to my eyes <laughs> without me. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there is um, a guide to the sort of like the maximum number of characters that you should have on one line simply because, you know, the, the eye of the reader is going from left to right um, f- fairly quickly. Um, uh, you, know, you need to take them onto that next line without huh. interrupting the flow. With that being said, I'd like to interrupt the flow of this podcast for just a minute so that I can remind you, you're listening to the magnificent Catherine Williams on the Storytelling with Park podcast. A love of books from a young age has inspired her to get to where she is now, but choosing which path to take at the right time is never easy. 
Gladly, Catherine chose to take a path that passed by our podcast. So we're going to make sure we spend our time wisely and dig deeper into how she got to where she is today. Plus, she might even mention a little about how she helps you to self-publish your very own book. Don't forget, we'll end this episode as we end every episode with a pub creations story. But for now, let's get back to typesetting. Out of interest, I'm guessing it probably depends on the size of the page, but what, but what is that maximum number of characters? Uh, yeah, it depends on the size of the page. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I, I was been a bit cheeky now. I asked you that on purpose because I wanted you to say it depends. And <laughs> because... it, it's kind of my stuck answer to just about everything. It depends. <laughs> so why is that? Tell, t- tell our listeners a little bit about why um, why you so often are saying it depends um, when people are asking you kind of FAQ questions <laughs> or asking you... <laughs> Because most questions that I get asked, well, you know, it it does depend. It's, you know, they're all how long is a piece of string kind of questions. (laughs) Say, well, you know, my book is 43,000 words. How many pages will it be? Well, you know, it depends what page size you've got. Um, (laughs) Have you got any images to be inserted as well? Um, You know, I've been working on a, a, a journal for somebody recently. So they've got pages that have nothing except lines for writing in them. Right. Um, and although it was initially um, thought to be about 100 pages, it's ended up at 200 because of all of these, um, you know, space that's needed for people to write in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty much doubled the size. See, I, I find that really interesting because I think what happens quite often is that um, as much as self-publishing, um, as you say, is, is brilliant and is more accessible now, I, I think that a lot of people think that self-publishing is kind of a stock standard answer. You can pretty much just, whatever it is that you're writing, it doesn't matter what you're writing, you can have a template, you can follow it, and you can put it out there into the world, and it'll be fine. It doesn't it doesn't need any anything. But I've learned a lot from you, actually, from reading so much of what you do and how you change um, people's minds on this, is that it, it's not, it's not, simple there's a lot to it there's a lot to think about to get it right and that's why as you do as you have a very eloquently put um it depends is pretty much the answer to, to every question yeah <laughs> which is brilliant which is brilliant um yes yeah i need to get a t-shirt with it depends uh, i stamped on it yeah yeah i think you should actually i think you could probably sell merchandise with that however if you get a t-shirt i really hope that everything is completely right on the typesetting on the t-shirt and <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd, I'd have to guarantee it yeah yeah exactly exactly um, so so that's what you were doing and you were that was your kind of your your later um role um in in it was was sorting out things like the typeset and a big part of what yeah. you did and then what happened afterwards why did you um why did you leave why did you stop working for them uh sadly robert hale decided to stop trading that is um, sad so the um entire staff were made uh, redundant okay. um at the time um there were a few books in progress um and there their list was taken over by another publisher. Um, so I had the opportunity to finish off those books on a freelance basis for this other publisher. Okay. Um, so that was kind of what started the seeds of becoming self-employed. Um, uh, I managed to acquire the, 
the uh, iMac that I was using, um, and, and I'm still using it. So, uh, so yeah, so I was doing those um, books that needed to be finished on a freelance basis. And as I said, you know, that, that kind of sowed the seeds. But at that point, which was end of 2015, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't quite ready to actually make that jump into self-employment because okay. um, I wasn't quite sure whether the amount of work that I had was going to be sustainable. Um, um, so yeah so um, I did end up looking for another job and I ended up um, on a maternity cover contract at DK um, who as some people will know are they publish travel guides and um, the most wonderful children's books and books about any subject you care to mention um, and I was in the what they call the the life division which was the the cookery and the gardening and the Brilliant. popular psychology and and all those kind of books um, it wasn't a creative role but it was like a step between the designers and the print producers right. um, so I was checking templates and um, archiving the books that had been done before um, yeah, all sorts of things. Um, but as I said, it wasn't a creative role, and I, and I really missed really missed that. Um, so when the contract came to an end, um, I'd, I'd still been doing odd bits on a freelance basis in between. Right. Um, and frankly, by the time the contract came to an end, I had so had enough of commuting into London. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that, that was a big impetus to, to starting to work from home as well. Okay, fantastic. Um, I, I think uh, I think many of us uh, have had similar experiences, and it does become quite painful commuting into London it all does. the time. Um, it does. I think when you're away from that as well, and you are working from home or you're working from a more local office, um, people will have obviously experienced that a lot more in the past year. You you feel how good it is not to have to commute as well, don't you? You start to get such Definitely a sense. Do. Yeah, you know. I mean, I was literally spending three hours a day just traveling to and from work and you know this uh, I was just exhausted all the time Uh, (laughs) yeah I I can I can imagine um so so that led you then to the contract was over and that was then the start of chapter one it was indeed yes April 2017 Okay, incredible. Um, I'm actually looking at your lovely, uh, your your lovely graphics behind you um, now with chapter one book production and the beautiful imagery and the the heart going into the uh, the the heart made out of two pages of a book going into the centre. It's it's yeah. wonderful. Um, so. I'm guessing when you started, um, as you as you said, it wasn't uh, wasn't easy, and it wasn't also quite as expected because the kinds of people you thought you might be working with, you weren't able to get the work you wanted. Why why was that? What was the difference between what you expected and reality? <laughs> um, I guess I assumed that um, other traditional publishers still needed um, you know freelance typesetters, mm-hmm. uh, and they do. But um, I guess, you know, there's a lot of us out there. There are lots of people who do uh, book typesetting. Um, A lot of it gets done um, overseas where it's cheaper. Uh Um, So, so yeah, that was was why, really. Um, And um, I I did have a bit of a hiccup um, literally two months after starting the business because I ended up with a pulmonary embolism and in hospital. Um, And so like, you know, all the development 
just went completely on hold um, for a few months while I recovered from that. I bet it did. Um, so you are fully recovered now, are you? Or yes, yes. I mean, I'm I'm going to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life. Right. But, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Essentially, fully. I recovered. imagine that must have been a a really difficult time to go through, especially as you just decided to start up your new business. That yeah. uh, <laughs> probably um, probably didn't help matters uh, very much. Was there other than? the actual physical pain and problems. What were your feelings going through that at the time? I I, I, I don't think I can imagine, actually. No. Um, well, it, you know, I had so many hospital visits and to the um, getting the dosage of the blood thinners right. Um, if I'd been employed, it, I'd have been, you know, taking time, so much time off anyway. Yeah. Um, I figured, actually, you know what, actually, it's, it's just as well I'm working from home. Um, so, you know, I just gradually built up again um and, you know got my website going and um got myself onto linkedin because um, mm-hmm. i i kind of knew that was where my audience were going to be yeah. Um, yeah that makes a lot of sense other other people who were running their own business and and, and you know like you mentioned right at the beginning the, the business books market seems to have just exploded over the last couple of years um with a lot of people wanting to share their expertise in a format that is affordable and convenient um for a very wide audience yes and 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 that's why a lot of people are now choosing to publish their own books um is because they can then reach that wider audience um so tell me more about that, actually, because we're now we're, we're we're almost we're not quite caught up to 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 the present day, but we're 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 almost there. We're at the start of your um, first business launch, the chapter one business launch, and so you mentioned the reason, I guess, that people are wanting to um, produce more non-fiction books. Is there a direct profit motive from the books for many of these businesses, or is there something else at play? No, none at all. Um, if you go into self-publishing a book with a view to making money purely from the book, you're going to be disappointed because <laughs> um, it's self-publishing is not a cheap process. You, there are a lot of people that need to be involved. You know, you've got editors and proofreaders as well as typesetters and cover designers um, and th- those who can create the ebooks. And then you've got all the marketing um and the printing, if you're doing um, printed versions of your book, it, it all costs um, all costs money. Um, but it's what that book leads on to where people make the money. So if you want to get onto the speaking circuit um, or you're um, running a business where you've got uh, online courses or something and you know people read the book and think, oh, you know, that's really interesting. I found that very helpful. But I think I need a bit more assistance with whatever they're dealing with Um, and then you know they'll go back to that author and their course and they might book on their course or they might book um, one-to-one sessions with them Um, and and that's where the money is to be made is is growing your client base from the people who've read the book that makes a lot of sense so so it's almost um 
we write so much content for our clients and that content goes into blogs and that content goes as uh, website content and you know longer form relationship building content is sometimes what we call it so we, we give it a few different names but that's that's one of the names we sometimes call it and so that to me seems like a what these books are doing to an extent but on a much 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 larger basis because you're able to get them out to more people in different parts of the world and also there's so much more content in there that hopefully if they're a good book people will keep on going back and opening up to different pages within the book and going oh that bit of information is relevant that bit of information is relevant and as you say, so there might not be a direct profit off the book. There also might not even be necessarily a direct short-term win because people will be using the book as much as they can to help them. But after a while, they might say, oh, I need a little bit more. But now yeah. I trust this person. I've built a relationship with this author without ever meeting them. Indeed, indeed. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Very powerful, very powerful indeed. Yeah. Hmm. So I can see I can see the attraction in that case for people to write uh, to write a book. Are, is there anyone or any reason that people shouldn't? Ooh, um, if you don't know who your book would be aimed at, it, it's not worth writing. <laughs> um, you, you've got to know for for business books especially, you've got to know your audience. Um, And you've got to know how to market your book. You've got to have an audience in place to to sell your book too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and know that it's something that they would want. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you would hope that if you're running your business well, that you would know who your audience are. Absolutely. Um, And you would know the kind of things that you could support them with. You would know the kind of questions that they're constantly asking you. And you would build that up, up over time. Uh, but uh, maybe maybe I think the key uh, is to not do it instantly and to start building up because you don't know all of... Well, as you said, when you first started your business, you made a couple of assumptions that weren't correct. Yeah. We all do that in our business. You're not Absolutely. unique. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so it's probably good, to, I guess, to gather information over time to work out what people are asking. That, yeah. What kind of questions are you constantly being posed and you're having to answer individually? Yeah. That's the kind of thing we do again with blogs. We constantly ask yeah. our clients, what are people asking you? What are you having to answer all the time? And so with a book, it's similar, but you just build up a catalogue and then you put them all into a catalogue. Exactly. Would you say there's something, though, to, I guess, creating a book that is maybe something we talk about quite a lot um, with our clients is, is defining their brand and helping clients to understand who they truly are, how they communicate with people, making sure that they are clear, they're consistent, they're relevant, which is really important. Um, and this comes back to knowing your audience and also that they're able to stand out, um, from the crowd. Um, one of the things I know that one of the books that you were involved with the publishing for was, um, uh, our, our, our mutual friend, Trisha Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I absolutely love about her book is that she did something very different. She almost brought fiction into nonfiction. She wrote stories and the stories then knitted together through different characters to explain the business that she was actually promoting and the support that she was giving. Yeah. No, I think it's an absolutely 
brilliant book and, I, and I'm honestly not saying that just because um, I helped her to get it ready for publication. <laughs> um, and she had um, some coaching from um, my business partner, Helen Pollock, as well, um, to get it written. And I know she that she had a wobble at one point, you know, about whether should she actually publish it in this in this way. Um, and, and we were both, yeah, absolutely, you should. It's It's totally unique, the way that you've done it. And it is... And it is so Trisha, um, and, and that's that's the hallmark of a good book because you can literally hear her reading the words in, in a way, and, and the characters that she's developed. Um, you know, a, a lot of people um, on LinkedIn who follow Trisha will will know Investigator Lewis, yeah. um, but they might not be quite so familiar with Professor P, um, mm-hmm. who does all the kind of the, the geeky sciencey stuff. Um, behind the scenes um, uh, and, uh, and I love I love that character absolutely love that character she's she's brilliant um, but that may be because I'm a little bit geeky about typography as well so. <laughs> yeah possibly but but at the same time it, 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 she's just a great character I, I, yeah. I agree I, I, and so I think I think what's powerful about that though is the fact that it's very unique to Trisha and sometimes um, I know because it, it's great that there's there's lots more people creating non-fiction books, but there's also sometimes a bit, from my point of view, I get a bit tired because I feel like I'm just reading the same book by a different author, if that makes sense. It's yeah, not yeah. different. It doesn't stand out. And so I don't know what your advice would be on this, um, but for me personally, I think that it's really important and maybe this is because this is what we do in general as well with our clients, but it's really important to make sure that you're standing out and you're doing it your way and you're not just doing a copy and paste of somebody else's work. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from any copyright issues in doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you, you, you've got to do it, you know, from your point of view and, you know, you're disseminating your experience and your way of doing things. Yeah. They, they might not work for everybody, but, um, you know, it does work for enough yes yes indeed um so so you mentioned helen pollock there and that she's your business partner but correct me if i'm wrong she's not your business partner in chapter one she's your business partner for what's your uh what's your secondary company called and when did that start uh we started the biz book foundry um last may june um i I connected with helen oh gosh um must be two years ago now through um a, a membership group called atomic um and uh, we were must have been on a zoom call with with andrew and pete um one of their uh, events and um they were advising people to get accountability buddies um and um finding out that helen was a book coach um, and we thought, oh, right, okay, um, Helen would be a brilliant person to get to know. Um, so I've reached out to her and said, oh, you know, perhaps we could be accountability buddies. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure our businesses have got some um, overlap. And yeah. um, we're obviously both in the in the book business. So, um, yeah, and, and that worked out really well. So, you know, we'd, we'd chat every couple of weeks and see how things were getting on. Um and, and through Helen, you know, I've had a couple of people come my way for the next stage of, of the self-publishing. Um, and then we, we started thinking, well, why don't we kind of put the two together so that people have a one-stop 
shop, if you like, to get the book coaching um, or ghostwriting. Um, we've got some ghostwriters uh, on our books that we put work to as well. Um, and, and, you know, it's a one-stop shop to take people right from having the idea for their book through to having all the files that they need to upload to uh, Kindle Direct Publishing or Ingram Spark um, or wherever else they're getting it printed and distributed. That's brilliant. I love that. So it, 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 I'm guessing the big advantage of this is it just takes the pressure off. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are a lot of people involved in publishing a book. You know, like, as I mentioned earlier, there's editors and proofreaders, and um, uh-huh. you might have you might want an index done for for your book as well. Um, so rather than an individual needing to go and find all of those different people themselves, we've got them all ready mm-hmm. for you. So, yeah. And obviously there, there's a little bit of a, a, a premium to pay for that kind of service, but um, yeah, it saves a lot of time. Does it almost feel a little closer to traditional publishing? It's almost a halfway house because of the level of involvement that you guys have it's almost if you don't want to fully self-publish because you feel a little bit alone but the whole idea of trying to search for a traditional publisher and all of the um the the hoops you have to go through um is daunting but actually if you just want to pay for a service that supports you in self-publishing to me it feels like a bit of a halfway house yeah you could think of it like that um you know and certainly there are other companies around who do similar similar work to us um, but we decided that you know we were going to focus on people who wanted to put out a book as part of their business promotion right yeah um, that hasn't sense. stopped that hasn't stopped um, other clients coming <laughs> to the Big book foundry but you know that's that's the whole point of of knowing your audience and marketing to a particular type of person um it's like you know you're going in for the center of the dartboard but the rest of it's still there indeed i'm actually i might steal that i'm doing a talk about audience uh, this evening with a group of people and uh, i like that line uh because you you summed it up very well so it sounds amazing it sounds like um a wonderful place um for people to be able to get self-published or to publish a book but to kind of take the stress off so if they want to do that or if they um, want help um, just from chapter one if they just need that part of uh, uh, of your work where can people find you uh, you'll mostly find me on LinkedIn um, I have to be honest and say I haven't been posting as much as I used to um, <laughs> simply because I haven't had the time um yeah but all of your contact information is on there and so absolutely yeah superb and what we'll also do as well um please uh any listeners who who don't use linkedin as much but still want to find Catherine, we're going to put um lots of other links on the show notes so that you can you can see all of the different places that you can you can reach her um now before we, uh, I let you go, if you still have a, a, a couple of minutes, um, I wanted to, to, to dig down to a, to, a, away from your business story to something a little bit more personal that's been going on with you recently, if you wouldn't mind, because I personally was inspired by it. For our storytelling with Puck Initiative back in uh, February, 
one of the stories you posted, and I love this because we ask people to, to, to put photos on. Um, why don't you explain it, actually? <laughs> yeah. Um, I posted a photo of um, a large stone on a set of weighing scales, um, <laughs> which, and, and I, it was literally, I just said, um, I'll let the picture tell the story. Um, and, it and, did. and it was to mark the fact that I, I'd lost a stone in weight at that time. Um, and now at the time of recording, um, I'm, I'm, I'm three and a half stone down. So um, yeah, it, that's been uh, a lifestyle change journey. <laughs> it's incredible um i mean three and a half stone um for people who who, who maybe don't use the stone and pounds um or, or just use pounds that's 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 50 pounds right or just, just almost just very under. nearly 50 pounds that's yeah. incredible and and then um uh, that's i don't know roughly 26 27 kilograms for people who work because i know people work in slightly different uh, measurements that that is amazing that is an absolutely incredible amount of weight to lose um how have you done it what's last year doing a lot of work on mindset um okay. i i worked with um the brilliant lucy griffin stiff um and she helped me a lot with something that's called timeline therapy. Okay. Um, and it just helped to shift a lot of stuff that I was holding on to and really didn't need to hold on to anymore. Um, and I did a, a trial of um, an application called Noom, um, which is very much about the psychology as much as the actual food that you consume. Okay. Um, because with weight loss, there's it, it's more about the mindset than what you eat. Um, yeah, I mean it's about what you eat as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> but your but, mindset helps you to change what you eat, right? Exactly. Because, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's big difference. Yeah. Exactly. I, 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 I've genuinely found it quite inspiring. Um, I'm starting to try and lose some weight myself, so um, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it, it's got me on the right path. But I yeah. I, I, I also I, I like the fact that it's not all about diets. It's not all no, about no. you know the starvation diets or the Atkins diets or whatever it is. It's about changing, as you say, your mindset and changing yeah. the way yeah. that you approach things. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's about changing habits. I, I read a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Um, must have been in December, um, and it was like the, the, the final penny dropped. That um, do you know what? It, it is never ever too late to change your habits for no, healthier ones. Um, and so, was, yeah, like I said, you know, the, the penny dropped, and um, that was the start of it, really. So at the very end of December, um, I signed up for a full year of using Noom. Um, I've also signed up to um, uh, what's called the Wellbeing Academy um, with a lovely lady called Diane Brown. Um, uh, and that's about getting the right mindset around being more active. Um, it's not about formal exercise or ha necessarily how much you do, um, but it's about finding something that you enjoy mm -hmm. and um wanting to be more active for your personal well-being interesting yeah. so it's yeah. it, it's about becoming less sedentary it's not about having an exercise regime exactly okay. exactly yeah. 
That is incredible. Um, I'm so impressed. Um, and I've also absolutely loved every moment of talking um, to you. We didn't get to dig any more into Rebecca, which I did want to, but I would say that the recommendation that you got from Catherine at the beginning is surely enough for you all to go out and start reading slash watching <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And thank you for sharing your story too. It, it, it's the way that you've built up to where you are now is incredible. And also understanding more about what you do and about the self-publishing process, I think is so, so, so important for people who want to go down that road. So I really appreciate you being here, Catherine. Thank you for being a guest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Of course, we will, as always, finish the podcast with a story from Puck Creations. Maria. Maria felt lost. Starting the engine that morning felt right. Her foot lifted off the clutch and she started to drive. Her only need at that moment in time was to get away from the place she had called home. To try something different. After reading that life guru's column, she knew that following the signs would get her to where she wanted to be. Three hours into her drive and Maria had seen signs everywhere. Every time she came to a crossroads, a roundabout or a motorway junction, there were signs. There were signs for places to eat, for towns, for places to shop, for lifestyle choices, for everything. The problem was, Maria had no idea what she actually wanted. Her short-term need was fulfilled, and yes, that felt great, but... Working out what to do next seemed like an impossible task. Maria ended up driving home. Paul. Paul's path was clear. He could see the future and nothing could get in the way of him reaching his final destination. Up ahead, about 45 minutes into his drive, Paul saw the sign for a town he had been told was one of the most beautiful ever seen. He didn't realise he would be passing his masterpiece of architecture, design and je ne sais quoi, three of Paul's favourite things. Still, nothing would get in the way of his final destination. He ignored the sign, and he kept on going. As he looked up, another hour into his journey, Paul saw a sign for the National Festival of Music and Dance. If there was anything better than architecture, design and je sais quoi, it was music and dance. Still, that didn't matter. Paul drove on. Upon reaching his final destination, Paul came to realise that it was nothing like he expected. Even the bits he would have enjoyed at the start of his journey seemed to have lost their sense of awe. Leona. Leona had thought in great detail about where she wanted to be. Her final destination was a long way away, but she knew there were a few places that she could stop off in between. Feeling assured, she started her journey. Every time she passed a sign towards her destination of choice, she followed it, but she always took note of the other signs around her. Her first stop was exactly the paradise she was expecting. Palm trees, white sand, and a clear blue sea. Perfect. 
Driving towards her next stop, Aliona was excited to see the turtles. But every time she passed a sign for dolphins, she couldn't help but wonder. Her number one rule when planning was always, plans can change. With that, she made her way to the most incredible experience of her life. And she tells the story of Flipper to her grandchildren every day. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.